What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-I, Sumati, just like it sounds. And the last name is Sparks, like sparks are flying.com. And when you enter your email address, you'll be added to my mailing list as well. And you can learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, so tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest Victoria King, also known as Tori. Tori is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is a sex therapist and a relationship coach. She also does sessions online. Tori identifies as a queer polyamorous woman of color who's married to a cisgendered black man, and she's considering today's interview as a sort of coming out as poly party, and she has never shared her relationship (laughs) practices with such a wide audience in public. So I'm really honored that you're choosing the show to do that. Welcome to the show, Tori. Thank you, Sumati. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. And the first question is, why now? What's inspiring you to come out of the poly closet? (laughs) Um, Well, when you invited me to join your show, I... I had some opportunity to ponder it and um, really felt like a yes. Um, it feels like the time is now to really like step into our power. And um, what I've noticed with this whole, like with the whole Me Too movement, um, I've noticed this just around with women I know and also in my practice, the women are really stepping more into their truth and um, not playing small and just really owning who they are and, and questioning everything. And um, I just feel like I want to be part of that process as well. Um, feel inspired to walk my talk. Um, definitely, I'm out to most of the people who know me, but not just generally making announcements about it. So I thought, well, why not? You're going to put me on radio. Why not put myself out there as well? Right. Well, good for you. Um, yeah. And so what what kept you in the past from being more public? Like what were some of your concerns or fears that made you want to only come out to your circle of friends? Mm. Well, I think for myself, I've struggled to fit in throughout my life in general. Um, being I'm biracial, actually. So um, growing up, I wasn't quite black enough for some communities. I wasn't white enough for other communities. So um found myself always in the middle. And we moved a lot growing up. So I ended up being this new kid. And sometimes we'd move to different states. I'd be the new kid with the new accent. That was weird. So I think having my own struggles with trying to fit in um, and wanting to fit in, it's like this, there's been this long process of my own journey towards self-acceptance. And so that's, I think, kept me more, I would say, repressed and um, trying to fit in. And, and I finally, I've just been, like, accepting that I'm just who I am. And I'm, you know, I choose different things. I'm unique. And most people who know me know this about me. So I've just decided to uh, embrace it, really. And um come out more as all of who I am versus living in a more repressed way, you know, which mm-hmm. you know, society wants to repress us, of course. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I could see how being biracial would make you a little more hesitant about that. 
And you're also identifying as queer, but you're married to a cisgendered man. So what does that mean to you to be identified as queer? Yeah, well, again, it's really just trying to own all the different parts of me. Um, as I was identifying as bisexual, but I feel like that um, term was a little bit more limiting. So queer mm-hmm. felt like it encompassed more of an umbrella of just all the different aspects of who I am. And so wanting to really own own those different parts of me, um, including, mm-hmm. you know, being in a marriage with a cisgendered man as well. Yeah, I'm kind of learning that the term bisexual is like so five years ago <laughs> because it doesn't, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it sort of um, acknowledges this gender binary um, old school mm-hmm. structure and it doesn't, it's not inclusive of gender fluidity that is our reality, especially where we live. Right. I agree. Oh, that's I completely cool. agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On. So what led you to become a sex and relationship therapist? Hmm. Ties in a lot to my own personal story. Um, so I think, again, like growing up, um, I received the message in my community, mostly in like the black community, that uh, only crazy people go to therapy. Um, mm-hmm. or, on, or only white people with money, right? So I had these mm-hmm. messages. There was a lot of shame and stigma um, about going to therapy. Um, and it was messages like this that really kept my own mother from seeking help and support. And she lived with undiagnosed um, bipolar disorder until she was in her 60s. Um, and she mm-hmm. medicated with alcohol, and, of course, if you know anything about growing up in a, a family where your parent, when your parents are both are alcoholics, it really can lead to a lot of um, dysfunction and trauma. Um, I'm raising my hand life, over here. <laughs> raising your hand, right? Okay, so you know mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. So basically to overcome all of that trauma and dysfunction, um, I went to therapy at the recommendation of an ex-boyfriend. And um, I got a lot of benefit out of it. You know, I found out that I didn't have to, you know, wasn't anything wrong with therapy. I wasn't crazy. Um, just more so growing up as product of my environment. So I just really dove in and, and became a big advocate for, for therapy. And so um, throughout my years, I did, I did a lot of therapy. Um, and the one piece that I could never really address in therapy was around my own sexual shame and trauma. And anytime I talked to a lot of therapists that I had seen throughout the years, it seemed to be like a discomfort with the topic, um, which also led me to feel more uncomfortable with it as well. And so I, I think for, gosh, for many years that um, sexual peace went unaddressed until about five years ago which is around the time when we opened up our relationship, um, when I began my own explorations um, around my own sexuality and and polyamory that I actually started addressing and healing much of my uh, sexual shame and trauma. So um, with all of that, I decided that I really wanted to be someone who uh, people could talk to about um, topics that seem to be off limits that were are taboo or um, uncomfortable for them to talk about, whether that's just in their own life, in their own family, or even with a therapist. So, I, so now I often get a lot of referrals from other therapists or even couples therapists who still don't feel comfortable talking about sex with their clients. So it's kind of my mm-hmm. own journey has led me down this path to, to being someone who can support others. Awesome. And did you do some additional training beyond your uh, master's in counseling psychology to um, be able to handle sexual trauma and such? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a training junkie. <laughs> I've been to a lot of <laughs> workshops and trainings. Yeah, I've studied um, sex therapy program at CIAS, and I've studied with um, 
Celeste and Danielle, it's Somatica. I saw you had uh, Celeste on not too long ago. Um, yeah. Studied. Yes. I've done a lot of personal growth workshops. I mean, there's, I've studied trauma work with, you know, EMDR. So definitely have a broad range of of skills and personal uh, knowledge to support. Awesome. Yeah. So is there anything mm-hmm. else unique about the way that you practice besides um, just having that comfort level with uh, making it safe for people to talk about sexuality? Do you have any unique systems that you've created? Hmm. Yeah, so I I do blend in the work, um, my coaching work with my therapy work, some of it. And so what happens is I work somatically and experientially um, with clients. And, you know, current research is actually showing that um, working that way is one is more of the quickest and effective ways to create new neural patterning and lasting change. And so that may look like providing real education, real practical um, education and tools that are relevant to people's situation. And we create mm-hmm. a workshop environment with with couples, and I might teach them specific skills that they're lacking. Um, mm-hmm. Could be touch skills. It could be, you know, someone's looking to be more dominant. Help them learn how to be more dominant. They want to be more romantic. Like, actually, work with them on what that would look like in their relationship, because no one goes to school for this kind of stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. I guess you work on on it in session. Um, my own background. I'm you know, not a not a blank slate. I do uh, work with my clients and let them know that I'm a real human as well. I disclose what what else is needed um, so that they know that I'm not just um, working out of a textbook for them. Um, mm-hmm. I like I normalize everything, um, deshamify everything. That's one of Celeste's favorite words. Like really help you get the shame out of the system because that's mm-hmm. such an issue. Um, right. Yeah, and then we, yeah, then working on what's, looking at what's working. So not just focusing on what the problems are, but really aiming to understand what, what's working in the relationship and, and doing more of that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, the issue of shame. I just posted a video. I, you know, shared a video on Facebook of I don't know if you saw it, but it was these young young men, maybe in their twenties, in South Africa. These these black men, and they were um, mm-hmm. they were doing this dance where they were wearing baggy. They weren't nude by any means, you know, big baggy trunks, long trunks, but they were like shaking their schlong around. It was like a schlong dance, you know, and they were just like twirling it around, mm-hmm. and you could see it. Like you couldn't see it, but you could you know see the movement under the shorts <laughs> and it was like a <laughs> celebration of their penis you know and there's all these people watching mm. and cheering and it was just so adorable and I just thought mm. you would never see that in this country in a million years you know like <laughs> I, we have such a shame-filled culture with with regards to sexuality that was just so beautiful to see mm-hmm. the purity of the joy of like, look at my big thing. Yay. Isn't it awesome? Let's celebrate mm-hmm. it. You know? <laughs> and I think if we can take wow. the shame away, then you don't have that sense of, you know, entitled, like here we have either one extreme is the entitlement that men have, like they're entitled to have sex or, um, the perpetrator, like where they have so much shame that they have to take it when it's not really wanted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. How, how do you help get the, how do you deshamify um, people's attitudes around sexuality? <laughs> yeah, that is a great question. And it really does depend on what end of the spectrum um, we're working with. But I mean, starting with the basics, I mean, being able to first name your genitals be the very first step because I've definitely encountered in session where it's really difficult for someone to actually just refer to their genitals as their penis or their mm-hmm. vulva or mm-hmm. their pussy or cock or something because it's there's so much shame. It's, it's just more like down there or 
my privates mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever their, their parents may have referred to it as growing up. And so really helping them to um, start to own the parts of their body and to use it in vocabulary so that we can actually mm-hmm. start to have real conversations about what's mm-hmm. going on um, mm-hmm. and making normalizing it um, is really what we try to do is normalizing all the different words and, and reclaiming them, you know, mm-hmm. um, as all normal vocabulary. Um, that's, I think, the first step with pretty much every client, seeing where they're at in that, in that spectrum. Um, yeah, and then just understanding level of shame they have, like, what are, what are the different layers of conditioning that's on them? What are the areas that they're feeling stuck around talking about sex or having sex and really just starting to open up the conversation and, and just really normalize it, whether that's sharing other experiences like that other people are having, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are coming to me and they really just want to know if they're normal. If the thoughts they're mm-hmm. having are normal, if the way they feel is normal, and really helping to normalize all of the different aspects of sexuality and all of the different um, ways in which they want to have sex or the fantasies or any of that, really. Um, that's, I think, really where I start with as far as de-shamifying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how people want to be normal. And so there really is no, like, there's no normal because there's such a wide spectrum of, <laughs> it's really just about what what feels healthy and consensual, right? Like, there's no such thing as normal mm-hmm. when it comes to sexuality, right? Totally, totally. It's like, you get to create what your normal is. Most likely, mm-hmm. you're not the only one <laughs> that feels that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had men ask me if they're gay because they like putting their own finger in their butt when they're masturbating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're, totally. so wor- they're so worried yeah. about like the label, like what does that label mean, and what does it make them, and you know, it can really screw people up when they get so worried about a label. Right, right, and it's challenging because so many of us are given these labels and these scripts that we're supposed to follow, you know. And so it's like any time someone feels like, oh, no, I'm thinking outside of the script I was given, whether they were given it from their parents, from society, from religion, you know, from the media, it's like, oh, no, I'm not normal. I'm my script. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I can't follow it anymore. Right? So really helping. Right. Helping them unpack that. Yeah, and yeah, we do. I think we do. We, we've come from this Puritan background, and I think there were periods of time where we had, you know, sections of society that were more liberal, like in the Roaring Twenties, for example. And actually, I was interviewing somebody the other day, and he liked to use the term "free love" instead of "polyamory" or "open relationship." And I asked, hmm. and I said, "Oh, that they used to call it that in the '60s," and he said, "Yeah, the 1860s." And I was shocked. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so during like the women's suffragette um, era, women were using the term free love because they wanted to be free from the patriarchal monogamy kind of, um, they, they saw that all as part of it. You know, getting the right to vote mm-hmm. also meant freedom of relationship choices and freedom of their sexuality. But have you ever heard mm. that before? Like that's been so buried. Uh-uh. No, <laughs> I think that's awesome. That's inspiring. <laughs> that was the first I'd heard of it, the 1860s. <laughs> so we've had like periods where we, we have this freedom, but then it gets repressed again. And then the 60s, it comes out mm-hmm. again. And now, you know, they're trying to re- repress our sexuality again. So it's kind of like this roller coaster ride with um, our freedom. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, totally. But what about um, people's fantasies? Like, do do a lot of your clients have um, shame and fear about talking about their fantasies with their partners? Mm, totally. Yeah, that's a that is definitely a tricky one because um, 
depending on their partner and their partner's level of acceptance or their own their own shame, their own self judgment, it is um, not always easy for them to hear what their partner's fantasies are because of their own, you know, they, their judgment. And so it's tricky. And sometimes I have to have separate sessions with a couple to be able mm-hmm. to help them unpack and talk about the things that they're, sh- that they're wanting to share about, like fantasies, for example, um, mm-hmm. so that I can help them start to normalize and do shame and then work with the, each individual to be able to support their partner in expressing what's true for them, to celebrate their fantasies and desires and to not take it personally, not to, to mm-hmm. make it mean something about themselves and to mm-hmm. really help understand um, what's happening so they're not contributing to this like cycle of oppression, shame, right. judgment. Yeah. Well, what about couples that have been in long-term relationships where um, they never really, like especially, well, I don't know if I want to just say women, but some people have just learned to not ask for what they want because, you know, we get messages that if you know what you want, that means you're a slut. So, um, mm-hmm. so you can't really admit <laughs> that you know what you want. So then the right. man's trying to figure it out by watching porn or whatever. And so then, you know, 10, 15 years into the relationship, they finally end up in therapy and they've never really talked about what they want. So how do you help those mm-hmm. people to start to talk about that? Because so often the other partner feels like, oh, this whole 10 or 15 years has been a lie or how come you've never told me this before or I've just been a crappy lover this whole time. You know, all that ego stuff that gets caught up in that. So how do you help them um, to, like you said, to not take it personally when they've, when they've had a long history of, in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great, great question, and it, it comes up a lot, actually. Um, well, basically everything you said, we just I start by normalizing all of that, basically mm-hmm. expressing how women have been historically shamed for knowing what they want and thought of as sluts and how difficult it is for them to know because not only that, um, not only are they, you know, referred to as slut if they know what they want, but then also um, they've been taught that it's not real, sex is not for them, that it's it's more mm-hmm. for their partner. And so there isn't mm-hmm. this sense of, oh, what, what would you like? You know, it's, it's, they just learn to please their partner. So, it's helping, it's talking about all those things and really um, um, bringing up that, um, what would you say, like societal messages so so that people know it's not just them and if they think this way that it's pretty common. Um, and then mm-hmm. helping for the other partner who is trying to figure out what their partner wants, um, normalizing how challenging it is and how much they want to please their partner, but how difficult it is to know what they want and or even know how to give them what they want, to know how to touch in the right way, even if they're watching, you know, say something on porn and what they see is not what's actually reality when you're working with people in general and how everybody likes different things and really just try to bring it down to um, – a basic experience of you guys get to create the type of experience you want. So what if we create like a little bit of a workshop environment and um, start to play with and, and feel into and actually test out and learn together what you like, mm-hmm. what you don't like, mm-hmm. learn how to ask for it. So just really okay. just try to bring it, normalize it, and, make, and give a lot mm-hmm. of permission for people to mm-hmm. take risks and experiment with with it so that it becomes almost like a together learning uh, experience as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important for couples to understand that they're on the same team. And it's not, it's not about having a battle of, you know, um, a battle of egos, but to, uh, to realize that they're, they're all trying to achieve the both, you know, two or however many people are in the group that you're working with um, are trying to achieve the same goal of, of pleasure and connection and, and healing mm-hmm. and joy. Um, I can Absolutely. imagine that uh, a lot of people, especially women, when we 
first learned that there's such a thing as that we have entitlement to our own pleasure, that that could bring up a lot of old trauma. Um, so does that happen when, when a, a woman starts to try to figure out what she even wants, um, that she's confronted mm-hmm. with feeling deserving of that or um, some messages mm-hmm. she may have. I know there's people that are survivors of ritual abuse and stuff like that, that they have to go through that healing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, it's in, you know, and every everyone has a different experience, right? So sometimes there is confronting whatever trauma comes up, whatever, um, moving through old beliefs, old patterns, and really creating a space within that re- that relationship dynamic to where people can talk about those things and get vulnerable mm-hmm. and seek and have their partner hold you know hold the space for them on either side mm-hmm. to to unpack the trauma and then if of course if needed work work individually I work individually with with people with with as it relates to trauma around that if it's not something or if it's not safe enough within the relationship to work through that right right so if you're just joining us you're listening to leading edge love radio and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. We're speaking with Tori King, who is a licensed marriage family therapist and sex and relationship coach. And we're talking about some of the common issues that uh, partners that come to you have around sexuality. Um, Besides shame um, and some of the other things we talked about, what are some other issues that you see with regard to sexuality? Hmm. So definitely I think one of the biggest ones people come to me for are um, they have differing sex drives or differing libidos. Mm. One one person right. wants more sex than the other. <laughs> um, or there's people who want different types of sex, right? One person just wants mm-hmm. what, you know, quote-unquote vanilla sex and someone wants to be more kinky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trauma, you know, navigating trauma and, and the impact that it had on, on sex life. We were just kind of discussing that a minute ago, mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, let's, um, let's go a little deeper are... into the first thing you said. The, um, the sure. Diff- often, uh, I know Kathy Labriola, one of my awesome mentors, says that people often um, practice open relationship because they want more or different sex and so that's exactly what you said mm-hmm. so do, do you help people um move into non-monogamy if they want more or different or do you um try to help them find a, a compromise in their bowl mm-hmm. um both it um it really depends on what the relationship is um, wanting what both both or more what, what people are wanting in that relationship. Um, first, we try to look and see what's what's actually going on, um, because sometimes there's tension about um, what's wanted, and then there's also the permission to go for what is wanted. Right. So sometimes mm-hmm. I've discovered that both partners actually want more sex, but no one's willing to admit it. <laughs> Mm. Um, and it's kind of fallen by the wayside for whatever whatever reason, life, kids, you know, things like that, um, but they don't talk about it. So creating the space to do so and then actually figuring out how much sex they want to be having, finding out that they're not so different um, can open up the door, and then maybe it's, it's not actually there's a, a difference in sex drives or libido. Maybe it's just a lack of communication. So really first mm-hmm. starting to um, explore and see what are the barriers and then mm-hmm. um, we start to look at what's possible, right? Because sometimes, you know, people do want something different and see mm-hmm. what what they're willing to do with each other, how they're willing to work together and negotiate. Um, but then I always, in talking to couples, uh, you know, as one of the options, um, on the table is there's the option for open relationships, which, which as you were saying, yeah, is a, is another option. It's a, one possible way to meet um, needs without trying to 
make the other person be something they're not or be different than they are. Mm-hmm. It's more an allowance for what is, and the other person can still get their needs met as well. So mm-hmm. definitely is one yeah, of the I've had, I've had m- many people right. I've had many, many people say to me, you know, yeah, I'd like to have an open relationship, but my partner would never go for it. And I say, well, have you asked them? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> right. and oftentimes they just haven't learned how to ask them in a way that comes from their heart, that comes from a place of vulnerability. And, you know, this is what I want and need to just enforcing it like this is going to happen. Um, but to be on the mm-hmm. same team, like we talked about earlier, and to, to say that I'm really wanting more than I'm getting here, I still love you, but I want something else too. Um, so a lot of people just haven't learned how to communicate like that from their heart. Do you find mm-hmm. that to be true where you have to kind of teach them to share kind of in a, an NBC sort of way where they're sharing their wants and needs rather than coming to the conversation with a solution already? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely helping them to get vulnerable and express, like, right, what are the needs, what are the feelings, what it, what's that um, that feeling you're, try, you're seeking to experience, like, in, you know, say, wanting to be more sexual. What is the feeling you're going for, right, and helping the partner feel into what they're wanting, feel into what the needs are so that it becomes more of, oh, I can, I can feel your heart, I can feel your desire, I can feel your your excitement, I can feel your your feeling of being repressed and then together mm-hmm. starting to look at well how do we start to meet that need, right? Without mm-hmm. it being it's gotta be this way or that way. I agree with mm-hmm. you completely. Yeah, and a lot of times they just need um reassurance. That's a, a really important tool I think that people forget. It's just to give a lot of reassurance. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful, you know, you know, you create this space in your coaching practice and and I do as well to just be able to have these conversations and have the support um from another person to be able to talk about it because it's not always easy to talk about it at home. It starts to get triggered and people start to feel threatened by um what their partner is starting to talk about. So Really right, exactly. That was my uh, next note was triggers, and then you said it. Triggers is such a, a in, such a huge thing in relationships, and I find that um, uh, you said earlier you use the term holding the space, and that is such an important tool. Do you find that people can build that muscle of learning to hold the space for their partner to have their triggers without yeah. themselves also getting triggered, and, and how can people build their muscle around that? Mhm. Yeah, it's definitely I like the way you framed it. It's definitely a muscle to be built and it's a skill to be learned. Um I it's one of the main things I teach uh couples is how to hold space for their partner. Um I really like um a variation of active listening as a tool um because it slows down the conversation. So it keeps one partner, how to really just listen, reflecting back what they're hearing, reflecting back the emotions that they're seeing, really finding a place of empathy and validating how what their partner is sharing makes sense given what they're, you know, what they're expressing, whether or not they agree with them or not, but really just helping um, their partner to feel heard. I think is is so important, and so so many people, when they're having conversations, are not really listening. They're just they're listening enough just so that they can respond, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or they're or they're they're getting triggered, and and then they go into their their defense mode so that they're defending themselves, and it becomes this like back and forth battle. Um, so really. I like to help them slow down the conversation and especially when there's uh, it's a conversation that is charged, potential has more potential mm-hmm. for, for people getting triggered and, and help them use a skill like active listening with mm-hmm. with a twist, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Adding in mm-hmm. some right. of the other pieces. Mm-hmm. Right, right. 
for sure. So I'll put you on the spot. Put you on the spot for a minute here, since you're uh, you shared that you like to be real with your clients. Um, can you think of an example in your own life with your relationship where you're, you and your partner work through, you know, a, a sensitive, triggering kind of situation, uh, like an example of that and how you got through it? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for putting me on this podcast. No, this is great. Um, well, I mean, I definitely am, am an advocate for for the work for for a couple of therapy, and I've done it um, myself in, in my marriage. Um, because one thing for my husband, he wasn't someone who wanted to express his feelings very much or um, make requests. He had a hard time doing so. So um, we definitely had to do some work around how to for him, how to make it safe for him to actually express his feelings and know that um, he wasn't controlling me by expressing his feelings and needs, um, mm-hmm. making it safe to do that. And and I, as as a therapist, wasn't really able to do that and to, to create that space for myself for, and for my partner in my relationship. Um, so we actually have done you know, couples counseling. And we were, in, I would say, talk about navigating Polly. My husband's very permissive. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. That's fine if you go hang out and go do this thing with this other person. Yes, I'm a yes to that. I'm a yes to this. I'm a yes to that. And so, he, but he wasn't a full yes to everything. And so he would was wanting to be a yes, but not really a full yes. And so and it, there was feelings that he wasn't expressing. And Meanwhile, was building up a little bit of um, resentment or, you know, feelings that he, he couldn't really express his true needs. So we did um, definitely, that came to a head, and we went and got some couples counseling so that we could work through that together. And mm-hmm. I could actively listen to him, and he could find a place where he felt like he could express his feelings because also you talk about, you know, with men, with men in particular, um, have been gotten the training like it's not okay to express your feelings, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't have needs. That was a message he got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked through that. Right. Yeah, I see. That's a very common mm-hmm. thing where in, in open relationship where we try to be more evolved than we actually are, <laughs> <laughs> and that that comes up for me yeah. a lot too because you know I'm naming myself the open relationship coach so I should be okay with anything and so I push myself mm-hmm. too far and then I go no wait that's not I'm not quite there yet let's slow down and so we have to come to mm-hmm. terms with what our own unique edge is and and kind of surf yes. the edge it becomes an art form to surf that growth edge without going over it to where you're in poly agony <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I love so it. So it sounds like you guys learned to talk about where that edge is and where um so he could find mm-hmm. his edge to tell you mm-hmm. yeah, yes I want you to do this but I need you know I need you to put the brakes on it in these areas or whatever he needed mm-hmm. to feel safe by going over the edge, right? And sometimes that's how you learn. Yeah. <laughs> is mm-hmm, you go exactly. over the edge and you overextended yourself to the point where you're just ready to give up because it's too much, and then you mm-hmm. feel, oh, I've actually gone outside of my window of tolerance, right? I've gone into mm-hmm. poly agony. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what's on the other I side like of your edge. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so what are some of the other common communication issues that you see with with partners? Um, let's see. Um, well, I mean, we kind of covered this a little bit, but like learning, we were just expressing this, learning how to express vulnerably, right? How Mm -hmm. to, um, talk in a way that your partner can hear you, right? It's not just about listening. Um, so you mentioned NBC 
I think NBC has an awesome um, model for learning how to do that, right? Expressing mm-hmm. uh, when you when you said this, I felt um, this particular way, or when you did this thing, this is how I was feeling, right? And really helping mm-hmm. people learn how to get in touch with their feelings and then express what their feelings are and then touch in on what needs are not being met, right? That's the, mm-hmm. kind of the whole NVC model. So learning how to ex- express mm-hmm. that rather than blaming, right? Blaming mm-hmm. the other person for what they're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really, really common. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, learning how to argue uh, and stay connected. So I think all pretty much all couples argue, you know, or mm-hmm. have conflict, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the conflict doesn't have to be so um, detrimental or so painful, right? So mm-hmm. learning how to um, fight like friends and not like enemies, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that goes back to communicating about our feelings, you know, expressing a hurt rather than lashing out at someone, right? Like, ouch, you just hurt my, you know, when you said that, my feelings got really hurt, you know, Mm so really sad versus Mm -hmm. you're a total jerk. I can't believe you said that to me. (laughs) What kind of person does that, right? Like, so learning how to own how you're feeling um, Mm -hmm. is really important. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if all, of course, you need to know how to do this because inevitably your fights may not go smoothly, but you need to know how to repair after mm. you've had some sort of a conflict. How do you repair and come back into connection if your interaction mm. did not go so well? So mm-hmm. it goes back to, again, like owning vulnerably how you're feeling and, and what happened and owning your part in it. So... Um, I think those are just some, you know, communication challenges that I uh, work with people and really help them gain tools and skills on how to have these conversations with each other so that they can do this at home, right? So we work on it Mm -hmm. in the office. We bring in Mm -hmm. real stuff. Triggers happen. That's why I love working with couples because it's I get to see the dynamic as it's happening, Mm -hmm. right, in the room. And we get to work with it live. Mm-hmm. And it helps to slow it down, don't you think? Oh, my gosh, for sure. We slow it way, okay, way, 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 way down. <laughs> way, and also to down. have permission yeah. to take pauses, like to take time out. Mm-hmm. Time out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some, do, do people, do you find people sometimes get triggered when the other one mm-hmm. wants to take a time out because there are abandonment issues or whatever? Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. And helping to normalize that, right? And and understand what's actually happening for the other person so that they can mm-hmm. see how they're they're just having their own trigger and it looks differently, right? So some people mm-hmm. withdraw and some people pursue. Right, right. I wanna come close to you when I'm triggered and you wanna pull away from me. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you're actually really overwhelmed just like I'm overwhelmed. So helping people mm-hmm. understand their different attachment styles and understand, mm-hmm. you know, that what's really happening and um, somatically start to monitor what's happening in their own bodies when, you know, as mm-hmm. they notice the triggers are happening and notice what their tendencies are and teach the other person what that is so that when it's happening, they can go, oh, my partner's just in a trigger and they need a little bit of space and it doesn't mean that they are abandoning me. They're just really overwhelmed and they need to take some time for themselves and they're going to come back to me, right? So kind of being able to understand that and um, learn that about each other. Again, yeah, again, that reassurance comes in there, doesn't it? <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. We all want reassurance. <laughs> right, right. We're all just little kids in these big bodies. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> yeah. So um, we, have, we get to take the, care of each other's children. We do, exactly, and yeah. be there for each other. And that our partner doesn't have to be always be the one. Um, if we have mm-hmm. a 
support from a therapist, a coach, or or just a friend or, or a, a circle, you know, a, a, some kind of a circle mm-hmm. or support group to go to where we can go to other people and not have to count on our partner to always be the one that's letting us know we're loved and wanted. <laughs> totally. It's so important. Yeah. So just to change directions a little bit, um, you said early on that, um, you know, a lot of com- in a lot of communities of color, um, going to therapy is there's a lot of judgment on that, that only crazy people go. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm imagining that you as a biracial woman would attract people of color into your practice. So mm-hmm. uh, what kind of unique issues do all kinds of marginalized communities face in, in the work that you do, you know, such as people of color, disabled people, LGBTQ, you know, as well as non-monogamous people. What are some of the unique issues that you deal with with uh, marginalized communities? Mm. Well, um, I just want to start by saying that um, I think most people, regardless of what community they're coming from, we all have a lot of similar issues. We really just want love and connection. We want to feel normal and feel healthy and feel accepted and free. Um, And so I feel like that's a very common desire, uh, regardless of of who you are, where you're coming from. And I think... Mm -hmm just from my experience working with different marginalized um, communities is helping them get into the door and normalizing the need for support, normalizing and um, helping understand what uh, what you can get out of um, therapy and why it's necessary or why it can be helpful, why, it's, why you're not crazy for needing support. Um, is really the first step of the work, um, mm-hmm. normalizing all the stereotypes that people have about about therapy, answering questions, um, making myself really accessible um, mm-hmm. is really important and helping them um, see that I'm not some um, authority figure, but that I'm here as a support person in it with them you know, living a life experience as well. So um, because there are different um, issues and I feel, I feel in a way really fortunate to have had a, a diverse experience, you know, being someone who's, I grew up in um, different, different areas. Like I, I grew up in the South. I mean, I, I lived in the East Coast. I lived in the South. Um, I've had a lot of different experiences with um racism and um, classism. Yeah, I, grew up, I grew up really poor. Those are some of the issues um, I would see, I've seen um, for some folks coming from different communities. And I'm right there just feeling like, uh, yeah, I can relate. I can understand where you're coming from. So that's really mm-hmm. my goal is to help them feel like it's that that's okay. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. That and mm-hmm. and understanding the different places, not not um, not making someone have to then uh, educate me um, on what it means to be black in America, right? Or what kind of um, oppression someone has faced as a um, LGBTQ person, queer person, or mm-hmm. someone who's disabled, right? Really just having that awareness for myself and really and is really important. And so I, I do have a, a diverse population uh, with the people I work mm-hmm. with. And I think they, they come to me because they're hoping that as a person of color, as someone who identifies as queer, that I'm going to have some understanding of maybe some of the, the oppression that they've that they faced just mm-hmm. in society and in their families, in culture. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the intersection of issues between people of color and non-monogamous people? Um, 
intersection. Like, what are some of the what are some of the unique issues yeah. that people of color who are also non-monogamous face? I should put it that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, gosh, there's I think coming up against um, a lot of judgment um, mm-hmm. and shame around just depending on how you're raised culturally. Um, I know in my communities as a, a person of color, it's, you know, it's heavily um, emphasized that you would be with one person and be really faithful to that one person. It comes not just from, like, my community, but from maybe religious influence as well. Um, and then, of course, if you're dating cross-culturally, you know, if you're dating someone from another race or background, um, that is also, there's like some um, stigma there. And mm-hmm. so working through working through that as well is uh, can be tricky and <laughs> normalizing I mean, I know it, that experience. It's a very rel- religious country that we're in, but do you find that, the African-American community kind of is more religious and more church-based, and so there's more judgment and stigma around um, non-monogamy? Or, um, I mean, I, I think my family, too, had a lot of judgment, and I'm white. So I don't know if there's, mm-hmm. a, if there's a difference. It just seems like there might be more conservatism there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't say if it's more, but I definitely see in – in different, um, like you said, in different people, it really kind of depends on the family upbringing, right. you know, because mm-hmm. I, I see just as many um, other races who are struggling with um, having been raised in different religious backgrounds. There's so, there's so many different religious backgrounds. So I can't say that it's more, but I definitely see it. Yeah. There tends to be a heavy influence yeah. of religion in the black community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and there's other other cultures, too, that have more freedom because it may not be ethical non-monogamy, but it, it's more like it's acceptable for a, a husband to have a mistress, and it's kind of more of a don't ask, don't tell thing, but it's more acceptable, and the wife kind of knows about it, but they just don't talk about it, so there's not quite as much you know, you're a bad person. It just is what it is in a, in a lot of like European cultures and Latino cultures. Um, there's a mm-hmm. little strange acceptance of that, that like, I would say more dishonest mm-hmm. model, but there's still mm-hmm. kind of more acceptance of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it seems like in that model, it tends to go one way. It's like one person benefits from True. that. True. <laughs> the, the man only. It's exactly. only one <laughs> Right. Right. So right. That's a, yeah. I, I've definitely seen that model. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't worked with it um, too much as far as, like, people trying to come from that model into an, into an open model. And that ends up being more yeah. of a... <laughs> More of a infidelity type of work. Exactly right, mm-hmm. right. So, why does it seem like we all need outside support with romantic relationships? I always say that every relationship needs an outside pair of eyes. Like, how come? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how come we can't see our own mm-hmm. stuff? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I I like the expression that you can't see. It's something like that. You can't see the picture when you're in the frame, right? Oh. So, like when you're when you're in the experience, you can't see what's happening, right? You can't see the bigger picture. You can just see what's right in front of you, and so therefore, mm. you you have all sorts of blind spots. Um, and like you were saying, it's nice to have another pair of eyes. So, I think having a, a coach or a, a therapist to support relationships when so much is happening there's like so much happening in with two people that and you can't see what's happening for yourself or in the frame of your own little um bubble of your relationship so having someone else be able to witness the dynamic and say oh okay i can see what's happening here i see this cycle that's happening with you let's take a look at this let's slow it down let let's let you you know 
be in your process and I can just help support you. Um, I think is it's so powerful to be able to have that. And I mean, as I was saying earlier, sure, I have a ton of tools, but I'm still in my own picture. I mean, I'm in my own frame. I'm, I can't see the full thing of what's happening. And then I can't hold space and also be in my experience at the same time. It's, I can to some extent, but it's, it's very difficult. Right. And I'm, I'm probably missing things. And then of course, when you get triggered, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's hard to, it's even harder to really be um, conscious and, and stay stay out of um, all of the different, um, let's say, like, explosions that can happen in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's one reason why it's helpful. But I think the other piece is, is that many of us didn't receive a lot of mod- a good, healthy modeling of, of how to be in relationship, you know, no education on how to relate with others. Um, mm-hmm. And so our friends and our families, they can't always um, support us. They're going to give us advice and tell us what they think we should do. And then you got to ask, okay, well, how successful are they in their relationships? Like, are are they mm-hmm. giving us sound advice and do they, do they know what they're talking about? You know, um, Yes, yeah. so I think it's. I think it's it's helpful to have that outside support um, for yeah for most of us. Yeah, we don't. Most of us yeah. don't have good role models. <laughs> I don't recall my parents ever no. teaching anything about how to have a healthy relationship, how to communicate, or anything like that. So no. we get thrown out there in the world, and we just learn from the media and we're all screwed but now we learn that it takes a village to ra- raise a relationship and if we can all support totally each other and uh, yeah we can find our way to the kind of love that we're all craving so thank you for Absolutely. the work that you do it's so needed I always say that people like us will never run out of clients because everybody needs this kind of support so um, keep up the good work mm-hmm. and uh, we just have thank a couple you. minutes left and I yeah, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you if they'd like to get some support from you. And I believe you also have a gift for our listeners. So you have a couple minutes. Take it away. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, sure. Well, if, if you'd like to reach me, you can visit um, my website. Coaching website is torylovecoaching at, um, dot com. Um, or Victoria King MFT, which stands for Marriage Family Therapy. dot com. Um, you can reach me through either of those websites. Um, I generally do a free twenty minute um, consult call, and um, as a gift, I was going to double that time for um, anyone who wants to talk a little bit more and share about what's going on in their relationship. So I'm offering a free. 40-minute consultation call um, where you can we can explore a little bit about what's happening in your relationship. I'll give you a little support, and if you want to um, move forward and getting additional support, either myself or someone else, I can get you referred to someone that can help you. Um, and you can just send me an email at uh, torylovecoaching at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to reach me. Or through Great. my website, one of the websites. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for your generosity. It was wonderful having you on the show, Tori, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Okay. Good night. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio at the same time, 6 p.m. Pacific time, we will be interviewing Blake Zeliar. I'm not sure how his last name is pronounced, Blake Z. He is a relationship engineer, and he's a really funny charismatic younger man and it'll be really interesting to hear what he has to say so please join us next week at 6 p.m pacific time on leading edge love radio have a good evening it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.